Praise the Lord today. We've come to the end of our study uh, through the life of David. This year uh, we've been in 2 Samuel, and last year we were in 1 Samuel. So this has been a long haul. But I wanted to be thorough, and I wanted to get all that I could out of this epic life of David. So if you're in your Bible today, flip on over to 1 Chronicles chapter 22, and then uh, also keep a finger over in uh, chapter 28 and 29. I want to talk to you today about the legacy of a king. On September the 8th, 2022, England's Queen Elizabeth died at the age of 96. She wore the crown for 70 years, which was the longest of any British monarch. And her passing set in motion what the British government called Operation London Bridge, which included a 10-day mourning period while her body was moved around England for public viewing. Millions of adoring subjects grieved her passing and honored her legacy. In fact, on the day of her funeral, over one million lined the streets of London to watch the procession. Flags in Canada, New Zealand, Australia, America were all at half-mast. Australia's Prime Minister wept on television as she announced the passing of the Queen to her people. And listen to this, the BBC reported that 4.1 billion people across the globe tuned in to view the Queen's funeral, which made it the most watched event in history. Of course, the commentators and the journalists offered their expert opinions of what made Elizabeth II so beloved. And what the media could not deny, although they may have brushed over for years and years, was that apparently the Queen's faith was real and deep. In fact, it came out that the Queen went to church twice on Sundays. She was known to read her Bible daily, and she prayed often on her knees. In a 2011 Christmas address, listen to what she said. For me, the life of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, whose birth we celebrate today, is an inspiration and an anchor in my life. Although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or greed. God sent into the world His unique Son, neither a philosopher nor a general, but a Savior with the power to forgive. Now, if we had a president today who spoke like that, the ACLU would lose their mind and the media would probably cut off the feed because we got a half separation of church and state. Now, here's an interesting side story. Did you know that in 2001, the world-famous evangelist Billy Graham was actually knighted by Queen Elizabeth? And in his acceptance speech, Dr. Graham actually told a story about Elizabeth's great-grandmother, Queen Victoria, who died in 1901. And apparently she was also a woman of faith who passed on the baton. Upon hearing a sermon about Christ's return to earth, Queen Victoria said, Oh, how I wish that the Lord might come during my lifetime. And when somebody asked the queen why, she replied, I should like to lay my crown down at his feet. I'm preaching to you today about the death of a king, royalty. And so it was fitting to introduce with the death of the queen, who obviously was a woman of faith, just as David was a man of faith. 
Every one of us is living the legacy that we will leave behind. The truth is that on the day of your funeral, people are going to summarize your life in a sentence or two. They'll have the service. They'll put you in the ground. Then they'll go to the church, tell a few stories, and eat potato salad. And so we need to go ahead and pick now the legacy we will leave behind by living that legacy intentionally. You see, the legacy that you leave tomorrow is determined by the life you live today. Don't wake up when you're 70, 80 years old and say, you know, I've got to start thinking about my legacy. By then it's already too late. You start early and you live for the Lord so that you leave a rich legacy. In fact, I'm reminded of the, the old Cherokee Indian saying, which goes like this, when you were born... You cried while the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. Now, like Elizabeth, King David left behind a legacy that loomed large. David was God's choice servant and by far Israel's greatest king. In Psalm 78 and verse 70, we read this about David's life, that God chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds to shepherd Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. If you flip over in the New Testament in Acts chapter 13 and verse 36, Paul summarized David's life in a sermon. In one verse, Acts 13, 36, he said, He served the purpose of God in his own generation. What a great epitaph. David went from the pasture to the palace. He was God's giant killer. He was a poet. He was a prophet. He was a king. It's amazing that God could put so much into one man. No wonder the Bible then lingers long over his life. His successes still inspire us. His failures still instruct us. And today we're going to end our study of David's time as king by learning about how he left this world and the legacy that he created. Now, in 1 Chronicles 22, and then the following chapters that we're going to look at, David determined in his heart to leave a godly legacy for future generations, which should be a goal for every one of us. Whether you're a teenager, or whether you're in midlife, or whether you're getting toward the end of your race, you want to leave this world shouting. You want to leave this world in faith. You want to leave this world an overcomer, victorious, and given a good testimony of your Savior, Jesus Christ. David teaches us three lessons today about living and leaving a godly legacy. What are they? Number one is this. We must invest in the future work of God. Invest in the future work of God. Forty years David has served Israel as king. And in that time, he could boast many accomplishments. He captured the city of Jerusalem from the Jebusites. He forged a united kingdom. He moved the Ark of the Covenant out of the wilderness and into the capital city. Riches and resources flowed into Israel because of the trade routes and the uh, uh, prosperity and the peace that he established with other nations. Beside his stumbles here and there, David was an incredible leader. And as David nears the end of his life, there's still a dream unfulfilled. Most of all, David wanted to build a house for God that was befitting his glory. And of course, David knew that God would not let him 
do this. But rather than giving up, what we discover is that David determined, if I can't build the temple for God, I'm going to do everything in my power to help somebody else do it. And so, that's why I say we invest in the future work of God. How did David invest in the future work of God? Well, first off, notice, he prepared the supplies. He prepared the supplies. I'm picking up in verse 2, 1 Chronicles 22. David commanded to gather together the resident aliens who were in the land of Israel, and he set stone cutters to prepare dressed stones for building the house of God. And David also provided great quantities of iron for nails and for the doors of the gates and for the clamps and as well as the bronze and the quantities beyond waiting. And cedar and timbers without number for the Sidonians and the Tyrians brought great quantities of cedar to David. For David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and glory throughout all lands, and I will therefore make preparation for it. And so David provided materials in great quantity before his death. David used the last years of his life to assemble all the building materials that would be needed for the construction of the temple. The Bible says, so that when Solomon took over, that Solomon could start building on day one of his reign. If you keep reading, if you drop down to verses 14 through 16, look at all of the riches that David laid aside. Verse 14, the Bible says, And with great pains I have provided for the house of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver, and bronze and iron beyond weighing, for there is so much of it, timber and stone too, I have provided to these you must add. You have an abundance of workmen and stonecutters and masons and carpenters and all craftsmen without number, skilled in working, gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Arise and work and let the Lord be with you. What a great message to the church today. Look at the resources around us. Look at the opportunity around us. It's time to rise up and work for the Lord. The Bible says that David laid us out 100,000 talents of gold and 1 million talents of silver just for the building of the temple. Now, to try and wrap your mind around that, we have to update it and, of course, add to the price of inflation today. But scholars say that the amount of gold adjusted for today's economy, just the gold that David accrued for the building of the temple, would be worth $276 billion. In addition, the Bible says that David took care to round up all the artisans from every guild. He hired architects and carpenters and stonemasons and, and blacksmiths. Every workman was, was hired and, and brought in and given lodging and, and given a job. And, and so David prepares the supplies. I, I heard John Maxwell tell this story about a traveling salesman who happened upon a, an old haggard farmer who was out in his field working one day. And that didn't deter the salesman. He thought, well, maybe the the old man will just at least hear me out as I give my pitch. Well, as the salesman approached, it was, it was obvious that the farmer had been working hard on this piece of land to, to till it and to prepare the soil and to, to water it and to make it ready for planting. And when the salesman came up upon the farmer, he interrupted him. The, the old man was bent over 
and he was planting apple seeds in the ground. Even during his pitch, as the salesman was giving his pitch, the farmer didn't stop working. He just kept planting, and he just kept doing his work. And he stopped in the middle of his pitch, and he said, Sir, I just want to know, I'm curious. He said, uh, How old are you? The old farmer looked up from his work, and he said, Son, he said, I'm 90 years old. And he started planting again. He said, the salesman said to the farmer, he said, Sir, he said, you don't plan to be eating apples from these seeds that grow up in the trees one day. You don't, you don't plan to be enjoying the apples from these trees, do you? And he looked up, he said, No, sir, but my children will. And my children's children and, and their children, who knows how many people, he said, will enjoy an apple pie because of my hard work. Today. And, and that's what was going on here in the life of David. David teaches us how every believer, listen, should dream beyond the scope of his or her life. Look beyond your life. Look to the next generation. What are you doing to prepare to the next generation so that the work of God can continue on in your family and in this church and in your life? What is it, friend, I'm asking you today to have a long-range vision for your life. What do you want to see God do for His glory in this place, in your family, in your life? Because you've got to have a vision that's greater than just the 70 or 80 years that you are allotted. You, you've got to invest in something that's going to outlive you and me. And there's only two things that I know of. That's the souls of men and women and the Word of God. You may not live to see it, but friend, you can be like David and you can determine to say, I may not live to enjoy the blessing, but I'm going to set somebody up so that they can finish what I started and enjoy the work of God. You say, well, how do we do it, preacher? You give sacrificially. You give sacrificially. You pray for long-range vision in your life. You ask God, God, give me a David-sized dream. Give me something great, that, a goal that I can shoot for. God, give me vision beyond my life. What do you want to do in and through me? And then you can pass on those resources and those uh, wisdom tidbits to the next generation. I was teaching our class on Wednesday night and I was saying that one of the beautiful things about our church right now is we're multi-generational. Uh, we got little Lydia uh, dancing up, up here on stage and we've got the drama team and, and, and we've got some of you uh, blessed saints of God with gray in your hair and you've been through some stuff and you've got wisdom and you've got experience and you know what? We need the young and we need the old. We need the youth to rise up and bring energy to the church. And I need the wisdom and the guidance and the experience of some of you senior saints today. And what we can do, friend, is the older can hand off to the younger and say, I won't see the full measure of God's blessing in my life here at this church, but you can. So let me give sacrificially to you. Let me raise you up and let me set you up for success in the work of God. You have that opportunity. We have that opportunity today. So he prepared the supplies. What else did he do? He prepared his successor. He prepared his successor. Look at what the Bible says in verse 6. And then he called for Solomon his son and charged him to build a house for the Lord. 
the God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house in the name of the Lord my God, but the word of the Lord came to me saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars, and you shall not build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born for you, which shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all the surrounding enemies, and for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel during his days, and he shall build a house for my name. And he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. And then look at what verse 11 says. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, so that you may succeed in building the house of the Lord your God as he has spoken concerning you. Let me clarify something here this morning. There's two parts to legacy. When we think of legacy, we only think of one part, the physical part. There's actually two parts. The first part of legacy is inheritance. And inheritance is what we leave behind for others. Property, money, assets, possessions. And the Bible says that a wise man will leave an inheritance for his children. But that's only one part of inheritance or legacy rather. There's inheritance, but the most important part it's the part that can't be quantified in dollars and cents and appear on a legal statement. It's influence. You see, inheritance is what we leave behind for others, but influence is what we leave behind in others. So that the things that we teach them, the principles we instill in them, the investments that we make in people carry them through the rest of their life. And that's what David was doing to his son Solomon. He was investing in the spiritual formation of his son. Now, here's something to think about. Every part of an inheritance will stay here on the earth. Check me if I'm wrong on this, but have you ever seen a U-Haul behind a hearse? Right? And anything you inherit, you're going to leave it behind someday. Everything that you've worked so hard to, to accrue and to build up, all that you have strained and, and, and pursued your whole life, one day you're going to have to give it to somebody who didn't work for it at all. Amen? That put things into perspective? So inheritance will be left behind. But influence, that's the best part. That's the part that goes on into eternity as the influence is passed from one generation to the next. So David prepared his son Solomon to receive this mantle of leadership. And by the way, you know what we call this? The Bible word or the Christianese word that we use when you take a mentor who rises up somebody else to follow in their footsteps, we call that discipleship, right? That's what's going on here in this text. And by the way, there's a consistent pattern often seen in Scripture. It's this, that God's plans span multiple generations. God has plans that go well beyond just one lifetime, don't they? And so there always needs to be investing in our successor and refreshing the new generation to remind them of the mission that they are being handed. And of course, the first place this begins, and David shows it right here, the first place discipleship and preparing the next generation begins is in the home. It begins with mom and dad passing on the faith of the forefathers to the children, and then it extends into the church through the brothers and sisters in Christ that we are mentoring. So look at this chart. David raises up Solomon. 
before this, Moses had raised up a man named Joshua to help lead the people into the promised land. After this, Elijah would raise up Elisha to carry on the prophetic ministry. Jesus would raise up 12 disciples to go preach the gospel after he died and rose again. And then Paul instructed Timothy. Timothy was Paul's protege. And listen to what he wrote to Timothy in his last swan song. 2 Timothy 2.2, he says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's the passing down. That's the generational impact of faith and the word of God and living for Christ. And listen to me, everybody who's ever left a godly legacy worth emulating was somebody who was sold out to making disciples. Winning people to the Lord, investing in their life, counseling them with the word of God, seeing them rise up to maturity in faith, and doing that over and over and over again. And that's not just addition, that's multiplication. When you've got many people in the church doing it. And it's a must-have in every generation. You know why? Because the church is only one generation away from extinction. Again, I talked to my class on Wednesday night. Do you know that there's two Presbyterian churches in the Asheville area who have shut their doors this year in a stone's throw of our congregation? You know why? They weren't passing on the legacy of faith anymore. They had no vision. They had no excitement for the work of God. And I don't know what was going on in those churches, but just looking at the denomination, I can tell you they probably went woke at some point. Amen? Charles Wesley said it like this. He said, God buries his workmen, but he carries on his work. That's why I say from time to time when I'm preaching, sometimes I feel my great-grandpa who was a preacher standing up inside of me. Sometimes I feel the words of my dad percolating up in, from, from inside of me when I'm preaching. Why? Because these men invested in my life and their influence now carries on into this pulpit. And what they taught me goes to another generation and it goes out and influences people. And then you go home and you have those conversations with your kids and your friends and your neighbors. And that's the impact of godly legacy. And my friend, if you could get charged up on this, if you could see the great vision that God has for you and me, oh, Katie, bar the door. Uh, you think uh, the, we'll outgrow the gym. Friend, we'll have to go beyond that. Amen. So listen to this. Discipleship is a partnership between past and future to complete a work of God. Discipleship is where somebody who's mature, somebody who's older, somebody who's run their race goes to somebody who has a future and will carry on the legacy and you bring past and future together and they partner to complete the work of God. That's what was happening here in David's last days. And listen to this, a disciple is somebody who has moved from being a recipient of the church's mission to being responsible for the church's mission. In other words, a true disciple is somebody who's got to the point to where they say, I don't just go to church. Oh yes, I go to church, but I work in the kids' ministry. I volunteer in the kitchen. 
I give of my time and my talent and my treasure because I'm sold out to Jesus Christ and my pastor, he's on fire for God and we're reaching people and I'm excited about it because the work I'm doing here is going to live beyond my life. I won't know it until I get into eternity and I see the impact of my life and I meet people who come to the Lord because I gave and I served even though I passed away. Another generation's coming up behind of me and I can help them know the Lord Jesus Christ just like somebody was faithful in my past to help invest in my life, if you can't tell this morning, I'm fired up about this. I'm excited about it because you go to work for 30, 40 years at a company, you build up their wealth portfolio, they give you a gold watch when you retire, and then it's over with. Your name is not remembered. But if you can invest in the work of God, little is much when God is in it. God can take a little elderly saint or some faithful deacon or Sunday school teacher or some nursery worker and he can bless their work and multiply their work and it can go well beyond their life into the future in a way that we can't even imagine. And that's exciting to me. Because I want to take as many people to heaven as I can with me. Amen. You know that you, the Bible that you have today, the reason why you have a Bible today is because in the past, somebody passed off the work to another generation. William Tyndale is one of the heroes of the faith. He's known as the father of the English Bible. He's a major reason why the English-speaking world has the Bible today. In fact, Tyndale put his life on the line when he decided to translate the Bible into English during the reign of a man named King Henry VIII. You see, the church and the government didn't want the people to have the Word of God in their language. They wanted to keep it in the priestly language, which was Latin. But William Tyndale had a dream for his life. He said this, If God spare my life, I will cause the boy who drives the plow to know more of the Scripture than thou dost, O king. Listen to this. On October the 6th, 1536, William Tyndale was burned at the stake. The last words of his prayer, as the flames licked up his body, he said, Lord, open the eyes of the king. Tyndale, listen to this, perished before he could finish translating the Bible into English. His unfinished work included the New Testament and a handful of Old Testament books. And the question was, now that Tyndale's dead, who will finish his work? But you know, God buries the workman, but his work continues on. There was a little hermit man, a little scholar in the kingdom that nobody really knew about except God. And it was a man pictured there, Miles Coverdale. Miles Coverdale somehow got a hold of William Tyndale's notes and the, what, the work that he had put together. And in just a short time, he finished the work that Tyndale started. And he completed the translation of the Bible into English. And it found its way into the hands of the British people. And now today, and most of you don't know this, but I'm tell you that the Tyndale Bible was actually the rough draft for the King James Bible. And the reason that you have a Bible today in your hand is because somebody invested in the work of God. Somebody risked their life to give you the Word of God and so that the work of God could keep going down through the ages. Friend, it's God's work. And what you start for the Lord, you may not see it completed, but you can set somebody up to complete the work that God has for you and me. 
Let me, let me just camp out right here for a minute. Man, I'm, I'm not doing good on time this morning. Y'all don't care, do you? Listen to me here. We need to be excited, church, because every church needs a goal. Every church needs a God-sized dream and a God-sized vision to look out into the future and say, God, we see you moving us this way. We don't know how we're going to get there, but Lord, the only way we're going to get there is if we step out by faith and trust you to do what only you can do. I'm asking you today, church, to latch on to a God-sized vision for this place. Not to make my name great, but to make the name of Jesus Christ great in the western North Carolina area. Because, friend, it's dark out there outside these doors. Our world's going to hell. This government has no answers anymore. I'm sick of the wokeness. I'm sick of the message being crammed down our throats. But praise God, Brother Stan, I've got the Word of God. I've got the Spirit of God within me. I've got the people of God. Let's get a God-sized vision for our church and say, oh Lord, He's moving us out of this building, but He's going to move us to a greater pasture. Who knows what the Lord might have for us, but we're going forward by faith. We're letting go of the past. All that's behind, praise God, for those who serve faithfully, but we got to move ahead. we got to go forward, because God's not dead, and God's not done, and my kids and my grandkids, they're coming on the scene, and I want to leave something behind for them that they will be able to build off of my life. Praise God today. Number two. Number two, we have to instruct the next generation in the Word of God. Invest in the future work of God. Instruct in the next generation in the wisdom of God. Go to chapter 28, verse 9 and 10. Look at this real quick. Real quick, verse 9 and 10. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all the hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he'll cast you off forever. Be careful now. For the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong. And you thought Nike came up with this, but David did. David said, just do it. Right? So he says, and do it. Nike is behind about 3,000 years. David laid the physical foundation for the temple, but more importantly, he laid the spiritual foundation for his son to build on. Listen to me now. There's a seriousness in David's teaching because David had been on both sides. In other words, David knew the joy and the fulfillment that came with serving God and he also knew the pain and heartache that came along when he got outside the will of God and paid dearly. And he's saying here, listen Solomon, you've got a great destiny, a great inheritance, a great mission ahead of you, but don't lose sight like I did. Stay on the straight and narrow. He's instructing him in the wisdom of God. Like so many of us who could gather our children around us. David is saying just like this. Son, don't make the mistakes I did. Don't do the things that I did where I got out of the will of God. Do it God's way. 
Obey His Word. Oh, Solomon, just obey God and you can save yourself a lot of tears and a lot of heartache. Listen to me, son. I'm telling you, I've been there. And when you mess up, Solomon, oh, you're, you're going to mess up. It's not an if, it's a when. It'll happen. You can run to God. He's a merciful God. He's a gracious God. He'll give you a, a, a second chance and, and a new life. Don't, don't run to the world, Solomon. Run to God. And you'll find His grace is still amazing. Listen to me, church. We can raise our kids and give them all the advantages that we never had. We can groom them for college. We can set our kids up to inherit the family business. But if we don't leave them a godly legacy, pointing them to Jesus, then you and I as parents have failed. If you don't transmit the spiritual things of God to your children, don't expect the school system or the government or this world to help you in that. It's your job, Mom. It's your job, Dad. They're your kids not to pawn off to the world system or the church and say, oh, the world really messed up my kid. Now you see if you can straighten them out. No, that is your job, Mom and Dad. And we need to hear that in our culture who sees children as an inconvenience. Oh, I don't want this baby, so I'll just kill it. Or I don't want to invest in the life of this child, and so I'll send them to school and expect the school to do my job for me. Can I get an amen from the teachers in the house today? You see, what I'm talking about is investing in the next generation with the wisdom of God. I see so many parents spending more time with kids on a ball field on Sunday mornings. You drive by the athletic fields over here, they're full. Let me tell you something. And there's nothing wrong with ball. I'm not preaching against ball. Yeah, everybody hear me, okay? There's nothing wrong with going and taking a weekend at the lake. If you need that, do it, right? There's rest. I'm not preaching against that. I'm saying priorities. Listen to me. Your child has a less than 1% chance of becoming a pro athlete, but they have a 100% chance of standing before a holy God one day. And what did you do to prepare them for that moment? Who cares if they graduate from Yale or Harvard? They're going to get brainwashed there probably anyway unless you give them a spiritual foundation. Who cares if they're the CEO of a company? Who cares if they make millions of dollars if they split hell wide open? Am I, am I preaching to anybody here today? And you see, God help me. I'm not mad. Please don't, please don't take me as being mad today. But the sad reality is we have a lot of parents who will send their children to church. They'll drive to the church and drop them off or they'll send them on the bus and then they themselves won't come to church. You know what message that sends to kids? Church is optional and unnecessary. And if parents and grandparents leave the spiritual formation of kids to the church, you know what you miss out on? Legacy. I have your child for 30 minutes on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning. You've got them the rest of the week. Just look at the time. Who's going to have the bigger impact, me or you? Now I have the, the power to preach the Word of God into them. But parents, grandparents, if you miss out on the instruction part of the wisdom of God, you miss out on the most important thing. It's called legacy. Because you want to take those children and those grandbabies 
to heaven with you. Amen. Listen to this. This is data put out by the Promise Keepers and by the Baptist Press. If a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, listen, there's a 3.5% probability that everyone else in the household will follow. If a child gets saved, they take the faith home, they say, Mom and Daddy, I got saved at the Baptist church, 3.5% chance the rest of the family will follow. If the mother comes to church, mother gets saved, she goes and she shares what God has done in her life with the children and with the dad. 17% chance the others will follow. But if dad, if dad gets his heart right, if dad gets on fire, if dad gets the alcohol out of his house, gets the porn out of his life, if dad gets on fire for Jesus, if dad says the ball can wait, it's Sunday morning, where's for me and my house, we're going to the Lord's house and we're going to worship him, kids. We're going to serve him. If dad can get on board, 93% chance, they say, that mama and children will follow. That's why I'm preaching to men. It's your house. It's your family. Your responsibility. You're going to have to stand before God one day, gentlemen, to give an account. Did you transmit the wisdom of God to your wife and to your kids? I can't be there to answer for you. Mama can't be there to answer for you. It's you and God alone. And if that doesn't put a quiver in your liver, I don't know what will. Earlier this year, I did a lot of funerals earlier this year. It just seemed like one right after the other. I did a funeral earlier this year for a lady I'd never met before. That's when you find out if your preacher's real or not. When you get the assignment of doing somebody's funeral that you don't know them. Because that's hard. Well, I had somebody come to me and they said, uh, we don't have anybody to do a funeral for this, this dear lady. And I know you don't know her. Would you be willing to do it? And I always say yes. You know why? Because you've got a captive audience in a funeral. And you'll have a lot of people who show up to a funeral that will never darken the door of a church. So I always say yes. And I was talking to this family. I said, uh, help me out here. I said, did you say that this person was a believer? Did they leave anything behind? A Bible, a notebook. They said, you know, come to think of it, Granny, uh, she wore her Bible out. I said, let me get a hold of that Bible. They brought me that Bible as I was preparing for this message. And I opened up that Bible. You talk about a treasure trove. I'm talking about this woman underlined everything her pastor said. Wrote down notes. Wrote down the day that she had read the scripture. She had three notebooks full of Psalm 91 where this lady had copied by hand every day Psalm 91. She memorized it. She put it in her heart. She put it in her mind. And when I opened that Bible and I saw her handwriting, I mean, this Bible was falling apart. It had tear stains in it. It had funny stories. It, had, it was a legacy. And I said, praise God. I don't have to think really hard about this. This lady's already preached her funeral. And so for the funeral, all I did was open her Bible and flip from one page to another. And I read, here's what the missus said on uh, Psalm 91. Uh, here's what she said on 1 Corinthians 13. Hey, this will bless your heart. And I'm telling you, it was the most joyful, most amazing funeral I've ever been a part of. And I never met that lady, but after reading her Bible and seeing the legacy that she left behind, I feel like I know her pretty well. And I can't wait to meet her in heaven one day. That's what I'm talking about. So practical. And she passed on that wisdom. 
to her family, and it was a challenge to me because I want to be like that. When I breathe my last, and I've, I've, I've preached my last sermon, and I've done all that I can do for the Lord, and I've gone on, I want my kids to be able to open up. Hey, here's a devotional that Dad wrote years ago. And I can pastor my kids, even though I'm long gone. I want them to be able to pull up a message and listen to it and say, Oh, there's Dad preaching from the grave. I want to leave something of me behind in the people that I got to shepherd. And it starts with my kids as I give them the wisdom of God because it's going to see them through to the very end. Where are your footsteps leading them? If they follow your footsteps, are you leading them to heaven or are you leading them to hell? Can't answer that for you. But number three, we'll close with this. We invest in the future work of God. We instruct in the next generation in the wisdom of God. We inspire others in the worship of God. Please don't tune out on me yet. I know it's getting late. Just, just follow me here but just a little bit further. Verse 10, chapter 29. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. And yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above. Both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, O God, and praise your glorious name. Drop down to verse 26. Look what the Bible says real quick. Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all of Israel. And the time that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. And he reigned seven years in Hebron, 33 years in Jerusalem. And then he died at a good age, full of days, riches and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his place. We come to the end of David's life. Imagine him, he's there on his deathbed. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 2 that he was cold. They were trying to warm him up. But there was still one song left in David's body. Praise God, even though he was leaving this world, he was leaving it shouting. He was leaving it singing. And when you come to the end of David's life, you understand why he's called a man after God's own heart. You find him in the early days. A little shepherd boy on the rolling hills of Bethlehem. He's out there just singing to the Lord. And now he comes to the end of his life. It's still the same God. He's still singing praises just like he was when he was a youngster. He was giving God all the glory, all the honor, all the blessing. He's a tired old man. He's got many scars and many failures behind him. But he knew the mercy of God. He knew the goodness of God. And you see, David's heart was to honor the Lord in all that he did. And he says in here, in his praise, he says, look, I can't take any, any credit for any of the blessings, any of the riches, any of the victories. It's all grace. You need to say the same thing in your life. Where are you in your life? Are you at the end looking back? You got more behind you than forward? Are you in the middle? You know what you can do right now as you assess your legacy? You can look back on where God has brought you and what God has done for you. And no matter where you are right now, think of all the Lord has done for you. That's the power of worship. 
And when we teach the next generation to worship, we remind them of the greatness of God. And that my life is so short, but He's so great. And He's so glorious. And that God would use a a little speck of humanity like me to preach His Word or to serve in His church. Oh God, I'm not worthy. I'm just a lump of clay. And you're the potter. David reminded his, his people here, hey, when it comes down to it, stewardship is lordship. It's all about him. Not about you. Not about getting your way in the meeting. Or having your will done at the church. It's about him. Because deacon, Sunday school teacher, pastor, finance leader, you're going to go the way of all the earth. I'm going to go the way of all the earth. What are we leaving this generation behind to keep this church going so that if the Lord tarries for a hundred years, I hope He don't, I hope He comes back this afternoon right after I baptize you. Boom! Can we go to heaven? Right? But if He tarries a hundred years, I want to be so faithful in what I did that that generation can live off of the blessings and the afterglow of what we leave behind for them. Only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. And when you teach worship, here's what you do. When you teach worship, you give people the right perspective. Look what David said in here. He said, all the glory, all the honor, all the blessing, it all goes to you, Lord. I'm just passing away. I'm just passing through this earth. And worship is... All that I am responding to, all that He is, praising Him for all He's done and hoping in all He's going to do. Worship reminds us that's where I used to be. But look at where God has brought me and look at where God is taking us. Oh, the old gospel song, I'm thinking about it right now. While the world looks upon me as I struggle along, they say I've got nothing, but oh, they're so wrong. In my heart, I'm rejoicing how I wish I could see. Thank you, Lord, for the blessings on me. There's a roof up above me. i got a good place to sleep. There's food on my table. And praise God, there's shoes on my feet. You gave me your love, Lord, and this fine family. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. That's where David was at the end of his life. Yeah, he stumbled in his journey. He messed up. But where sin did abound, grace did more. Amen? Such that when you get to the book of Acts, Acts 13, Paul is ending up a sermon. And in Acts 13, Paul quotes a psalm of David. Psalm 16. And prophetically, David was actually looking ahead to another king, the king of kings, Jesus, the descendant of David, who would leave the greatest legacy of all, resurrection from the dead. David died and was buried, but there was one who was coming from him who would die, be buried, but he wouldn't stay dead and he won't stay gone. Listen to what Paul said, Therefore he also says in another psalm, You will not let your Holy One see corruption. He's talking about Jesus. For David, after he served his purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. 
You say, preacher, how can I begin to live a legacy? I've wasted so many years. It begins by bowing to a king who will never die. His name is Jesus. You repent of your sin. You make him Lord of your life. And you say, all the days that I have left, Lord, are yours. If you can make anything out of the mess of my life, you can have it, Lord, because I want to leave a legacy of grace. I finish with this, and I know I've told this story. Miss Janice, I've told this story so many times, but it never gets old. A few years ago, we laid to rest one of the most beloved members here at LBC. It was Ken Singleton, Janice's husband. He was music minister here for many years. He helped me in the early days of ministry before Preston came. Ken, the day of his funeral was like the funeral that we did, that I was talking about for the other lady. It was a rejoicing time. He had run his race well. He finished well. And the service was like a worship service. There was singing. There was shouting. There was testifying. I mean, it was, it was, it was fun, if you can say that to be in the house of the Lord, to honor this man's life. And we said, Amen here, and they went to the graveyard. And at the graveside, we have the service. And as I said, Amen, by the graveside, his granddaughter walked up to me and she said, Preacher, tears rolling down her eyes. She said, Preacher, I want the Jesus that my granddaddy had. She had heard so much of her granddad's testimony and so much of the gospel in that funeral that she said, I want what granddad's got. And she got saved. I prayed with her. She got born again in a graveyard after she had just put her granddad in the ground. And I'm telling you, that's the godly legacy I'm talking about. When you live a life of faith, for the glory of God, your life preaches beyond your three score in ten years. And it can roll out and affect others in ways that you can't understand. I've seen it happen. And it can happen with you. If you get on board with this right here. 